And hello and welcome to the DeMarco Polo Show on KUCI 88.9 FM. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus. We're also on the web at KUCI.org and at iTunes College Radio. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett and the DeMarco Polo Show hopes to broadcast surprising discoveries and spicy insights with a focus on Southern California locals doing interesting things and we have a couple of interesting locals here today. We have Ruth Wimsat and Valerie Goff. Ruth is a clinical psychologist in Irvine who does couples therapy and individual therapy for anxiety, depression, and chronic pain health disorders. She has a medical background as a registered nurse and did postdoctoral training at the Southern California Institute for Psychoanalysis. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Barbara. And we have another guest, Valerie Goff. She's a licensed marriage family therapist enjoying a busy pri- private practice in Irvine where she specializes in child and adolescence psychotherapy. She began her career in social work while working with unwed mothers and juveniles on probation. She's an adoptee herself and has worked in the field of adoption for over 30 years. Hello, Valerie, and welcome, Goyles. Thank you. <laughs> it's so nice to have you both. Um, and just interesting to me to have um, therapists because I think, I mean, everybody is interested in therapists and so many people see therapists. Before we go into just talk, tell us what how you each became therapists. Aside from your bio, you know, how you came from nursing and how you came from working in with unwed mothers and such, you know, anything from like long ago, anything from your childhood, anything from... You know, any kind of, like, experiences that happened maybe when you were growing up, coming up, that just kind of, you look back now and you see that as maybe the reason? Mm, I can't think of anything from being young, but um, when I was finishing working as a nurse, I was working as um, a nursing instructor, and so I taught um, nurses certain things in emergency room care and uh, intensive care and um, something about being the role of teacher took mm-hmm. me away from my normal role of being a nurse and it became kind of a more counseling um, role and I became kind of an, sort of almost like an arbiter between the nurses and the management of the hospital that I worked at. So that's what really got me interested was just getting that role. Plus, um, going back to school to get, um, I was at the point of getting a master's degree in nursing and it just didn't seem fun. It didn't Mm -hmm. seem like anything in the Mm -hmm. curriculum was fun. Hmm. (laughs) And so it was just time. It was time. It was time. Yeah. What about you, Val? Well, I actually kind of danced my way into um, social work. I was teaching dancing at the girls' home, and we were doing Saturday Night Live work at that time, and um, they needed a counselor, so they hired me on the spot, and I started working um, the graveyard shift, and it was just a great adventure with working with girls and their families, and um, I loved it, and I've been doing it ever since. That's interesting. Um, you might, You both must have personalities that kind of offsets absorbing too much of your clients, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I went to school to be a therapist. I thought I was going to be a therapist because oh. I did all this crisis intervention work. And um, But then I found that I was just taking on their woes, that I 
I couldn't keep that distance. I couldn't, you know, where I would think you have to be able to not let it permeate your psyche, their, you know, your client's difficulties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of different things about that. I mean, m- maybe starting kind of in the middle. <clears throat> it, it, I don't think that, for me, I don't think I'd be able to do it if, probably if I had a different office partner. I think that people that work completely alone must have a much harder time. And people that live in, and that work in really large offices must must be like us. They must have an easier time where they can consult a lot and um, run things by each other. But our personalities seem to be really well suited to seeing each other's back, kind of seeing what we don't see about mm-hmm. ourselves and mm-hmm. pointing it out to each other. We're able mm-hmm. to hear that from each other. So, and I think we work well together. And she specializes in one thing, and I have my specialty. And we have our gifts in that area. So when we are in the office and we're working, if if we need to process something, we will. But I think it's, I enjoy it. I don't, it's a joy to be, it's my life's work, so it's so exciting and wonderful. So I actually get energized. So when I go home, mm-hmm. I'm kind of happy. So have you, did you know each other before you started sharing we an did. office? We yeah. met in school. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. okay. We met in school. and How nice. Yeah, it was nice. It yeah. was nice. And then... Um, I forget how we finally got to. We had at, at the office that we're at now. Um, I was there previous. I w- had been there already, and we had one person leave, and um, we're looking for a new office mate. And Val- right at the time when Valerie was looking, so um, yeah. So now it's just the two of us. Yes. So how do specialties evolve then? How did you end up specializing, Ruth, in um, couples and anxiety, depression? And how did you, Valerie, end up specializing with more on children, adolescents? Well, I I think because I'm kind of like a kid, so I can relate to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm working in the girls' home. The kids were there, and we were teaching kids how to take care of kids. And then they taught me so much. And my kids that I work with now are just, they're just... They get better, faster, and I think they are. There's less um, resistance, and they seem to uh, just grow and and and. It's just an exciting, wonderful specialty, and I mm-hmm. just love it. Mm-hmm. Time flies when I'm working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get to sit on the floor and play a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. And, and ha- make a lot of noise. And ha- make a lot of noise. <laughs> make a lot. Of, that's fun. How did you end up specializing? What you specialize in? Um, was it always that way? Um, well, it might have been that way from the beginning. I mean, for me, it was a little bit more that I got um, word-of-mouth um, referrals to come to me. Um, I did well with, with a couple of couples and then just kind of grew from there and uh, got a lot of referrals for couples. But also, I like working with couples in a little bit of an unusual way or a little bit of a, I shouldn't say unusual, but maybe a little atypical way. I don't mm-hmm. um, I don't he- listen to a lot or I don't encourage the people to tell a lot of what their story is or the sort of he said, she said mm-hmm. part of the mm-hmm. dynamic. And um, I find that working with the couple in such a way that I kind of can... Not to sound too out there, but I can become kind of the relationship. So if I feel that I'm the relationship, then I can place inside myself an idea of what's missing for these people and what does the relationship need from each of them. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's just a way of keeping keeping me in that perspective. And it really does keep us away from, you know, and then he left his shoes out and then she, you know, didn't wash the dishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and she's gifted. She's a gifted couple therapist. And that's that w- that's why I think we get along so well is we 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 blend really right. well in terms of she'll give me kids from her mm-hmm. people and I'll send couples to her and and then together I think we can see kind of the whole family. We, mm-hmm. I mean it isn't always that we see people in the way of I seeing the parents and she the children, but um, even if we don't, we can see with each other's patients what the dynamic is mm-hmm. and help each other with that. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the DeMarco Polis Show. I'm with Ruth Wimsett and Valerie Goff, and they are psychotherapists here in um, Southern California. So Irvine, actually, is where their practice is. Um, Do you think there are problems that are specific to this geographical area as opposed to the rest of the country, or are problems problems? I mean, I don't know if you've practiced in other areas or you have colleagues in other areas that you kind of consult with or run things by or what you know in terms of what's going on elsewhere but what do you think are there things happening here that aren't really happening anywhere else or no i don't think so with kids i think uh, i think orange county is difficult for uh, girls i think this area specifically i have to do a lot of work with teaching girls how to be empowered and not get caught up in the Newport Beach-ness mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and the affluence. I think a lot of kids um, experience the orange curtain. Mm-hmm. And I worked with kids in the ghetto and the barrio, and, mm-hmm. and they're totally... They're, they, yes, they all have the same... Um, they're trying to find out who they are, and they're trying to deal with peer pressure. It's just, I think it's a little different here in Orange County because they do have so much. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. And they don't... I frankly don't think they appreciate, they don't know life Mm -hmm. like they could, and that's what I like to teach them. Mm -hmm. You know, my son um, has lived here his whole Mm -hmm. life. I I wanted to get him out of here a long time ago because I didn't want him to grow up with a certain Mm -hmm. mindset, and um, I don't think he has, fortunately, but he tells me that a lot of his friends are leaving to go to college elsewhere because they want to get out of the bubble, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting because he doesn't feel that way. Because, And I think because we're not in the same economic mm-hmm. bracket as all of his friends um, who live behind gates and we don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting, you know, that they, you know, they know that they have to get out to, uh, well, at least his guy friends. I don't know what the girls are thinking, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they and the kids get it. They really do, and they'll they'll come in and they'll they'll tell me silly things that they're doing, and I'm and you know they lost their their iPhones and their iPads, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh Lord, right. you know, there's more to life <laughs> than, than that stuff, yeah. and you know, and and they are, you know, there's a lot of of self harm. The girls are, it's just hard for the girls. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to so much to live up to, and they feel like they're so inadequate if they're not hmm. a certain look or a style, and and I just love to teach them how to be strong women, no matter what. And and do their parents typically bring them in? I mean, mm-hmm. is it so they're not seeking you out on their own, but their parents see that something is going on? And the parents or the schools um, refer to, and the pediatricians. Mm-hmm. But basically, a lot of my kids, the parents, they tell their parents they want they need help. They want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And the parents come in, and we work as a, a team mm-hmm. approach. So. Mm-hmm. 
my parents and myself and the kids, and I move them in and out like chess pieces. So hmm. parents will come in, and then they'll, they'll go out, and then I'll work with the kid. And then if we have to talk about something, then we'll do it together so I can kind of mm-hmm. teach as I go, mm-hmm. especially my little ones, like six or four or five-year-olds. It's, it's kind of teaching parents how to manage behavior rather hmm. than change a kid. Hmm. Interesting. For your adolescence, I think it's... Um, it's really a skill that you have that you can um, talk to an adolescent and really develop a trust with the adolescent and and with the parents at the same time because you're not going to be telling the parents everything that mm-hmm. the adolescent says um, and that's kind of that's kind of a sketchy area mm-hmm. because parents do want to know they want to know they're what's paying going on. for the therapy mm-hmm. and the adolescent also wants to wants to have a confidential relationship. How do you do that? Well, I, when they come in initially, then I, I, I explain to them all the laws and the things I have to report mm-hmm. and or protect mm-hmm. against. And then I ask the parents' permission to have our time be confidential. But if there's something we need to talk about, I always let them know, and I let my kids know that if it's something we have to talk about, I'll, we'll do it together, and mm-hmm. I'll tell them how we're going to do it. And if there's something that we have to talk about sex or something that we have to talk about drugs or cutting, then I, I prep the kid, and I'm their advocate. And then I'll talk to the parents, but we just... We just come in and we're honest and mm-hmm. we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So then, okay, so in terms of here versus elsewhere, kids, it's pretty much the same. Absolutely. They're all, everybody's trying to find their way. Everybody's trying right. to figure out who they are. So then within Orange County, though, mm-hmm. then we have sort of lower economic sort of neighborhoods, mm-hmm. socioeconomic neighborhoods, and then we have the higher end areas. Mm-hmm. And the differences are... I lost my iPad, my iPhone. I. The differences, are, I think, are attitude and grace. Mm-hmm. I think um, mm. I like to teach my affluent kids that they're uh, they're lucky to be where they are sure. and to be born here, and that their parents work hard, and that this is that if you want something, you have to work for it. And a lot of times they don't have that; they don't know, understand that concept of because mm-hmm. everything is so easily and freely right. given. And I mean, right. they're pulling up in Mercedes mm-hmm. to come and see me, and right. I'm like, wow. That's that's really cool. (laughs) 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 And so I want them to understand that that life is more than just things. Mm -hmm. You know. So I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah. No, you did. What about you, Ruth? What are are you? I whenever I talk about this, um, uh, I feel like I kind of talk in a circle because, um, and this is maybe a non-therapist opinion, but it seems as though. Um, within my group of of patients among single people that they have really a hard time finding a connection mm-hmm. uh, to someone they love in Orange mm-hmm. County. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> and you know, I always come around all the way to, I don't know what that's about. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm not f- originally from here, so I mm-hmm. don't know, but I, I always hear sort of the men talking about, well, women are only interested in what car I drive, mm. and women are talking about men are only interested in what I look like. And I kind of think that's an oversimplification, and I also think that that, that does also go on. Sure. Um, I suppose it goes on in, you know, Michigan City, Indiana, too, mm-hmm. though. So I'm not really sure what the difference is, but there is a measurable difference. I'm I'm convinced it's harder for people of dating age in Orange County. It's harder to... I mean, we don't have a city center. It's hard to be right. someplace and actually right. meet somebody. Um, I guess it's getting easier now with the Internet. A lot of people, I don't know. I The last number I read was a high 
percentage reaching toward 50% of people that meet online. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think that's, that's good. Wow. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know why it is. Hmm. Well, being, she's from the Midwest. <coughs> and so we went to Chicago and, and, and you're from here. here. I'm from here. Oh, I was you're born from and here? raised in Anaheim. And really? I lived in Anaheim and Laguna. And so I'm atypical, I think, because what I learned from traveling is that, um, and what I think we're lacking here is a, a sense of community. I think everybody's running around like chicken with their heads cut off, driving crazy to try mm-hmm. to get to here and mm-hmm. there and all their appointments. And there's nowhere to go just to be right. and hang out and, and hear good music mm-hmm. or you know, in Chicago or New York, you just walk outside and right, the, it's there. the rhythm is there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's one of the bummers. And when you say walk day. outside, that could even be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. they walk outside. Because <laughs> it, yeah. you don't walk outside. You, know, you, you don't sit no. on your front porch. You right. just, you know. Right. Yeah. You don't talk to people. Yeah. Although I mean, a lot of people have dogs so they can meet each other. I've, I've noticed in Corona mm-hmm. more. Right. Yeah, I, I know we're being really general about yeah. it because, of course. you know, a lot of neighborhoods have, you know, really strong sense of neighbor and community. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I'm just finding myself trying to put my finger on exactly what it is that mm-hmm. people find, especially people that move here from elsewhere mm-hmm. that have, you know, a harder time moving to Orange County than they do moving to L.A., let's say. Because mm-hmm. it's just this place. There's walls. One person told me there, mm-hmm. there are walls everywhere. Right. And you, you do, everywhere you go, you run into a wall. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's a really interesting. <laughs> and it, yeah, literal wall. Literal, 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 literal wall, yeah. Yeah, yeah and figuratively. It's, right. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. What, what happens, I don't know if, it, if this ever does happen, but what happens if somebody comes in the office that you don't like? and um, Or you just, you know, you might connect with certain clients and other clients, you just feel something like, oh, they remind me of the teacher I had in fifth grade that I hated and I can't get past this. Or or does that not happen? Do you, once you go through training, are you just beyond that and you just are able to deal with people as they are? No, you have difficulties. But we had had a a professor at this one, um, at this one, um, I don't know what you would call it, a seminar that we went Mm -hmm. to a couple of years ago who told us that someone isn't your patient until after the first session. So, I mean, that's one thing that we remember is that, you know, you it's like anything else, dating or, you know, mm-hmm. meeting mm-hmm. a friend. You sure. get to decide the first time if you're going to be a horrible match, and sometimes sometimes you aren't going to be a good match for what the person needs and what your skills and are. And you'll refer them out mm-hmm. to someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. you just wonder, you know, if... You know, if somebody's watching the clock because they have an appointment, or they're watching the clock because they don't think you're interesting, or yeah, but you know, that's good. For that is good, grist for the mill, as yes. they say. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think if well, yeah, I mean, it's I guess kind of a cliche, but if somebody is wondering if we're watching the clock um, because we're more interested in the time than them, mm-hmm. then um, that's a good thing for us to talk about and. I think we both encourage people to be really honest mm. and in the moment with us. So if someone is feeling like that with me, um, we can talk about it. And sometimes it does raise things from the person's mm-hmm. history or background, or maybe just from maybe they feel that way in general that people sure. don't have time for them. Hmm. Mm. And it's it's a relationship, so it's a it's a process of knowing one another and, and understanding what they want and what they need and. I'd like to be able to 
hear what they want. Mm-hmm. And and if they're if if we have a hitch and the giddy up, then we got to talk about it. Right. And then when we, once we talk about it, they've learned how to be courageous and talk about it, and we've learned how to be humble, and listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, don't you? Oh yeah. And I think we and we have fun in our office. So a lot of our we we get to know each other's patients, and they, we're like a family. Yeah, sometimes we are, we, and yeah. we dress like sometimes accidentally, and <laughs> accidentally. They, they make fun of us. You do have kind of a similar pattern. It was more similar <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> this morning, <laughs> <laughs> we both arrived with like almost the identical outfit, which yeah. it happens oh, a lot. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, our that's patients kind of friendly. say, so, "So this is the uniform yeah. of the day." <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to take a real short break, and when we come back, we will have more Ruth Wimsett and. Valerie Goff, so stay with us for the DeMarco Polo Show. We'll be right back. Weekly Signals, the only weekly news commentary radio broadcast that features a dog named Mahler. Weekly Signals, with Nathan Callahan and Mike Kaspar. News with a bite. Friday mornings at 8 here on KUCI 88.9 88.9 FM, radio that keeps on giving. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. Listen to Riders on Right every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. with Miss Barbara and Miss Murray. It was said was Wednesday. Wednesday. At 9. Wednesday. In the morning. Wednesday. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And welcome back to the DeMarco Polo Show on 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. I'm with Ruth Wimsett and Valerie Goff, and they are both therapists here in Irvine. Welcome back. We are here. So Ruth writes a column for... um, Newport Independent. Newport Independent. And on the way here, I made you stop talking because you were talking about something I want to talk about, which is you wrote something about Fifty Shades of Grey, the book that is just this runaway bestseller that just Mm -hmm. makes some of us mad and others just, you know, is the aphrodisiac for the the world at this point. Right. Well, I I actually didn't write it, but I I. I wrote it and suggested it, um, and it it turned out not to be a good piece for the paper because our editor wisely has um, the idea that he doesn't want anything in the paper that his two daughters wouldn't want, or he wouldn't want his two daughters to read, which I think is a good, a really good, um, good way of looking at it. Um, And I'm not sure I would have wanted my daughter to read anything about Fifty Shades of Grey um, (laughs) when she was young either. But what was it? What were you gonna? Write about. Oh, I was writing about how I see it everywhere. Uh-huh. I'm picking out of people's bags. Really? And um, it has such a recognizable cover now. Uh-huh. I mean, we all know what it is. And it really strikes me that you can sit in Starbucks and there's a woman sitting reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And we know that she's reading erotica while she's uh-huh. drinking her latte. And I just <laughs> I think it's, it's so great. It's sort of like, you know, just a really, you know, kind of entitlement to, yeah, I can, I can just read this. 
It makes me think back to, well, I know people still read Cosmo now, but I, I mm-hmm. sort of think like mm, pre-internet days, the only way that we could um, get titillated or think about 50 things he really wants but will never tell you mm-hmm. um, would be by reading Cosmo. And so now now people read Fifty Shades of Grey. Although there are Kindles, right, and Nooks, so that what would be the difference then between someone who will read the book sitting there and who will read it on Kindle so you don't know that mm-hmm. he or she is reading it? Because I know guys who are reading this book. Who are reading it too. Yeah, I would kind of think they would have less patience for it in general, but I do know a lot of men that are reading it too. I mean, it's, um, you know, I hope I'm not speaking out of place, but it's hor- it's horrible writing. Um, right. <laughs> but it's titillating. <laughs> but it's titillating. Have you read it? Yeah. See, I haven't read it. I I checked it out on Amazon. I just, you know, I thought, okay, what's this about? And I just could not read it. Yes. I couldn't either. Everybody in my neighborhood is passing it around and drinking coffee really fast. And, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I can't read this, but go girls. Yeah. 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 Well, it is, it's pretty bad writing, but it's a, it's a good intro into BDSM. Bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, uh-huh, uh-huh. all of that. So, so, but what would be the difference psychologically between somebody who would read the book uh-huh. at Starbucks uh-huh. and who would only read the book on Kindle or a Nook so that nobody knows that they're reading it? Right. Uh, well, that would be almost like a Rorschach. I don't know. Right? <laughs> I mean, when I, it, like one person could be clueless and not and think, well, nobody right, knows right. what I'm reading, and one person would be like, you know, I'll read whatever I want in a public yeah. place. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I don't like about Kindles or Nooks that you don't yeah. you can't well, see covers anymore. Right. You don't know what somebody's reading. I love walking by a seeing, away uh, at a pool or mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm, beach mm-hmm. and see somebody reading a book and go, ah, oh, they're mm-hmm. reading that. Right. Oh, the way I actually got interested in the book was um, I was talking to someone who said um, that her son had gotten um, a picture on his iPhone of some flip-flops at the beach next to the book mm-hmm. and um, the message along with it was or there was no message it was just a picture from his girlfriend so the mom was he's only 17 so the mom was <laughs> she's like, mm-hmm. mom was saying what <laughs> what's going yeah, on what's going on so um I don't automatically think anything bad to you is going on. I think kids like to. No, I just I think they just like to have fun and mm-hmm. move around and take silly pictures. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's too bad you couldn't write about it. Maybe you should write about it for someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can use the piece for something else. You know, write it for yeah. Orange Coast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> okay. In case they're listening. <laughs> I'll just. Um, so, you know, I think I've asked you about this, and I don't know if we came to a conclusion or if you came to a conclusion, but I asked you once, not long ago, why therapists can't see clients outside of the office the way doctors can. I mean, you can end up at a dinner party with your doctor, right? and that's ethically okay. But It is, but do you want to see somebody who's been down there at a dinner party? I mean, is it... <laughs> Well, no, but but you know, it's just. But it would be okay. It would be okay. Whereas, like with a therapist, you know, for, if you're in the same place, you pretty much don't talk, and you kind of, you might say hello, but you more or less ignore each other. Yeah. yeah. What? Why? Do you want to say what you think? Well, well with my kids, which and I see kids from uh, mm-hmm. where you know, I live in Anaheim Hills, so I see 
kids from all over. Because yeah, mm-hmm. frequently. I, yeah, and I run into them, and and I always say, I, you know, I won't come up to you. If you want to come up to me, feel free, mm-hmm. because I love them, and I don't want them to ever think I'm being right. disrespectful or snobby. Mm-hmm. But th- they get to have a place. Anybody who comes to therapy gets to have a place to come and just be real and just be gut open real and not worry that we're going to talk about them or share their secrets. Mm-hmm. So when to, to be in a social setting, it shifts the energy, and you can't, it's almost like, I don't know, we're like the best mom in the world. We were just saying mm-hmm. it's like we, the best mom that you, you never will get mad at that mom because she'll keep all your secrets and mm-hmm. support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, yeah, I think that's true, and it's, um, I don't know, did, I, did either of you see the movie 50-50? Mm-mm, no. Um, <clears throat> so, well, the movie just just briefly is a bit about a young guy, um, maybe thirty, who has a um, possibly terminal disease. He, he develops cancer, and so the doctor sends him to this therapist, who's a ther- very very cute therapist in training, um, Anna Kendrick, and um, hmm. they kind of hit it off. And by the end of the movie, oh, I hope this isn't a spoiler for anybody, but they they do. Uh, well, you can tell from the beginning they're going to get together. Mm-hmm. But it's a really interesting, at least for me, when I watched that happen and the energy shifted because she had been in the position of authority mm-hmm. in that relationship for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And when they went on the date, um, she looked at him and she said, well, what now? And I, it was almost palpable to see that that authority was shifting to him mm-hmm. and you had to kind of ask yourself did he want it and what was going to happen then because the relationship was built yeah. um some people have trouble with the word i'm using authority and i don't really mean it mm-hmm. in sure and i'm trying to think if i could use a synonym but there's a there's a, a direction to the flow of the energy mm-hmm. in a therapist and patient relationship that um that would sure shift if you you know went out to lunch or well, what mm-hmm. if you stop being therapist client? Mm-hmm. Yeah, then. I think you could do that, and people do do that, um, maybe less frequently now than they used to. But the only problem I can think of with that is what if the person needed to come back? We we uh-huh. both have people mm-hmm. who come back after ten, ten years. Ten years <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. We have people that we haven't seen for a long time mm-hmm. um, who come back, and they are in a different phase of life and mm-hmm. have a different issue altogether. Mm-hmm. And if if we had kind of become social friends, then then we couldn't see them again. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it it feels like then you're kind of letting them down, because mm-hmm. I mean, just you know, between us. How many, I don't know about you, but I, I bet it's the same as me. How many people do you meet that you think, I would love to be this person's friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to yeah. know them on the outside, sure. so to speak. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and on the, the outside. outside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a fine line to walk because you do, you dig them and they, you do have a good time and, and um, it's not all heavy duty. Sometimes we're laughing hysterically in, in the session and, mm-hmm. And we're sharing stories, and and they get to not have to worry about my stories. They mm-hmm. just get to worry about mm-hmm. themselves, right? Right. And mm. they don't have to. And they can wonder what we do and wonder how we are in real life, but basically they kind of know. But they don't have to take care of us, right? You are listening to the Demarco Polo Show on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm with Ruth Wimsett and Valerie Goff, who are therapists in Irvine. Um, 
do you earlier I think you said something about you know clients you want clients to feel that they have somewhere to go where they can be just so totally themselves and honest are most people totally themselves and honest I mean don't you think to some degree I'm I'm wondering because I'm thinking about the times I've been in therapy and you know have I always been just so honest or have I wanted the therapist to like me and so I didn't Mm -hmm. say certain things Mm -hmm. because what if that's not likable or I don't know Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I work with kids because mm-hmm. they just tell it like it is. And, and, and they'll come in and they'll go, Why are you wearing that ugly shirt? I go, Oh, it is ugly, isn't it? They go, Yeah, don't wear it again. And I go, Okay, thanks. So um, I think with kids, it's it's way a lot easier. Yeah. And w- but w- I think with adults, I mean, I see, obviously, I see adults mm-hmm. also. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think? I, yeah, I think you have to, well, you have to be looking for cues. Mm-hmm. all the time and be really sensitive you know from the minute somebody walks in the door and pay attention to the very first thing they say and um a lot of times that's revealing of what you know as you said um am i looking at my watch when they walk in or mm-hmm. am i looking at the clock if they say something uh about that i would i wouldn't drop it i would say so I was looking at the clock. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I mm-hmm. think it, as long as you make mm-hmm. enough room for somebody, and and I think especially after you've established a relationship, people know that there isn't anything that they have to hold back. You're not going to suddenly say, um, <laughs> like the therapist on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman from a <laughs> hundred years ago, <laughs> right? And you, she's taught me a lot about how to 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 bring whatever is in therapy into therapy. Mm-hmm. So to ask, and what do you think of that? And yeah, I was a little tired. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, 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 I'm. Some people will say, "Wow, you don't look so good today." And I go, "Oh, yeah, I had a little bit of a headache." But mm-hmm. I, it just is what it is. It is right. it's the relationship that mm-hmm. heals. I think both of you would be wonderful therapists. You know, <laughs> thank I mean, you. Just the way you are. You know, I mean, that's, you kind of want, I think, to see a therapist who's mm-hmm. also being herself, right? right? I mean, because, you know. I don't think we're that model of the therapist that's quiet. I usually am barefoot <laughs> and, yeah, and sitting on the floor. And a lot of pe- my kids will say to me, no offense, but I thought you'd be more professional. Because, <laughs> right. you know, we're running around, uh, you know, right. real. And, yeah. And we don't sit behind a desk. And a lot of people have that misconception mm-hmm. that we're behind a desk taking notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching everything. I'm looking and feeling and sensing. And mm-hmm. I'm busy being involved. So I can, and I remember everything. It's mm-hmm. weird. Can't remember what I'm going downstairs for at home. Right. But <laughs> if you're in my office, I'll remember, remember your name. Yeah. Uh, it's just because it's so, you're so present and it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. You mentioned Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and I was thinking earlier about TV shows that that uh, feature therapists or therapy. Like, what was it? Uh, is it in treatment? In treatment. Mm-hmm. What about? What do you think about that? Is that true to true to life the way it might be, the way it is, or is um, it TV? Well, you know, they say. Um um, Otto Kernberg said you don't know what goes on behind anybody else's sure. closed door. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and he was a great teacher, but we don't know what went on behind his door. So um, I I think a lot of therapists may be like, like he is in the show. And I forget, is his, I think his name is Alex. I can't remember the therapist's yeah, it's name. it's been a while since I've seen Right. Yeah. But um, I find him to be a little more argumentative than I would be comfortable with uh-huh. and a little bit less 
sometimes he's a little bit more judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, fi- but as far as the show, I'm always very addicted to it. When I, I don't know if it's permanently off now or not, but I don't know. I saw the first season. Yeah. So how many? There's been a bunch two. of seasons. I think just well, two seasons. I think maybe only two. I haven't. I didn't see it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like it. Huh. Hmm. What do you think? What do you think about therapists on TV and, you know? I, I think they're funny. I think they're, um, sometimes they're they're made out to be, like, I, I, I thought of Sopranos when you guys mm. were talking about it. I oh, couldn't think right. of anything. I thought of, mm-hmm. what's her name? Mm-hmm. And she was, one, I would never dress like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's distracting. I mean, I'm not, uh, I just, I thought some of the, it was titillating once again to hear, hear, watch, mm-hmm. you know, their interactions, their interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but her, her relationship, I think, with Tony. Thanks for bringing that up. Her relationship with Tony, I thought, was the most true to life therapy example in the media or in you know in television or movies. Mm. Because, um, I. I thought that she really took took him in and didn't didn't argue with him and go against what his beliefs were but she and she had good boundaries mm-hmm. with a person that had no boundaries uh-huh. so it was um mm-hmm. yeah i thought it really really portrayed it well mm-hmm. we have a few minutes left with ruth wimsett and valerie goff on the demarco Polo show um wanted to ask you too about why did um manic depression become bipolar disorder sort of like why did bombay become you know, Calcutta. Mumbai. Oh, Mumbai. And and Burma mm. became Myanmar. It's like, yeah. why why change the names of these things? <laughs> I know why they change the names on the drugs to make more money. You know, they, so I don't know. The, the well, DSM the DSM four came out, and it, and now we're going to have the DSM five in in mm. 2013, and so more things will change. Why? Um, well, there's a huge committee, mostly medical doctors, mostly psychiatrists, if not all psychiatrists, I think. And um, they would, I mean, on the plus side, what they're really trying to do is create a common language, even mm-hmm. worldwide, for people to be able to say somebody that has these features is probably what we're all going to call bipolar. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I don't know why they changed manic depressive to bipolar, except that um, it maybe describes a little bit more what goes on hmm. with them mm-hmm. because they're of the polarities. I I like yeah, manic depressive sides. better. Yeah. As, um, it's and more I like descriptive. A, it's more descriptive, <laughs> and a lot of of the old expressions yeah. I think are are more well, descriptive. They sociopath to um, to what? They to um, oh, it just went out of my head. Sociopath. They changed to. Antisocial, uh, antisocial disorder. Oh, yeah. that yeah. sounds so much more benign than sociopath, mm-hmm. it? It is. It, it sounds, does. Yeah. It does sound more mm-hmm. benign. Yeah, yeah. So that's. But then a lot of things got taken out um, from like the what? prior DSM. Mm-hmm. Well, the prior DSM before DSM four characterized homosexuality as a disorder, uh-huh, and so okay. now that um, mm-hmm. is not a disorder, of course, and and. Um, other things in the new one, they have um, premenstrual mm-hmm. uh, stress, and um, so we're going to see what comes out in the new one. Postmenstrual stress. <laughs> right. <laughs> should be in there. It should be in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like in the new DSM, which I haven't completely seen, but I've seen excerpts from it. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's going to be easier to have drug and alcohol treatment because they have um, mm-hmm. more... more um, 
more reasons to be an alcoholic. <laughs> if somebody, for example, if someone experiences cravings, then that gives them one more notch up on that ladder. So, but I, I don't, I don't know about you, but the the diagnosis people get so freaked out by them, and I always tell everybody it's just a it's a cluster of symptoms mm-hmm. that defines a behavior, so that we can have talk a common a way to talk to each other, and sure. so that the insurance companies have a diagnosable. Mm-hmm. illness to mm-hmm. pay out mm-hmm. but we don't know so i don't get caught up in yeah and you just have to come up with something yeah if, if, if we if our patients choose to bill insurance mm-hmm. if not then we don't do a lot of patients not bill insurance because they want things to r- truly be confidential right about half of my people yeah. don't bill insurance at all because once a diagnosis gets on their insurance it may be more difficult to be insured in the future um, some people may look upon it as a stigma people especially attorneys mm-hmm. um, are people that may want an attorney who wants to be a judge down the line or mm-hmm. perhaps run for office so when they do the background check they don't mm-hmm. want to have yeah. it on yeah what about i know i've um schizophrenia can be um genetic are other mental disorders genetic a lot are familial. I mean, I don't think they use the term genetic. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, schizophrenia is familial. It isn't like um, passed down from mother mm. to son, for example. So familial means? Familial means that it is. it runs in... Um, your ancestral pattern. For example, mm-hmm. there are clusters of people with schizophrenia around the world. Um, one place is Ireland that I'm aware of. There's really? a small place in Ireland that's hmm. a, a large cluster. Any place else that huh. you know or can think really? of? Well, I guess that's just an example. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. be all people from the same family there, but it would be a familial trait that's passed down. Yeah. yeah. You know, I see that with um, autism, Asperger's, mm-hmm. any of the spectrums. I always look for. Somewhere in the family, is there anybody else mm-hmm. had uncle so and so, or they'll sure. always go, yeah. Well, my my dad or my grandma, or I remember hearing a story about. Mm-hmm. So, and for sure, alcoholism, alcoholism, and, and anxiety. Um, so yeah. a lot of it is, is you, you can find patterns, patterns, and families. Mm-hmm. Speaking of alcoholism, and since you work with kids, I mean. Are kids drinking more these days than a decade or two ago, or what? I mean, it just seems like everywhere I look now, I'm seeing like signs. You know, don't sell, don't don't buy alcohol from minors mm-hmm. because fifty percent of all kids are drinking, and it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how how young they are and how early they start drinking. And Where are they getting it? Their parents' they're stash. They're getting it from the parents aren't there, and they're liquor cabinets they get people to buy it mm-hmm. um and you know older siblings mm. th- they want it they find it mm-hmm. and it it makes me crazy when i hear about parties and uh, and parents allowing kids to drink because we want them to drink at home because right. we can control that yeah, i know I'm, a lot of people I'm, like that it makes my head spin and mm-hmm. I, yeah. I it blows my mind mm-hmm. yes. so what do you think your kid wants to drink you just say wait till you're 21 or do you say well okay if you must I mean, how do you deal with it then if you're a parent and you know your kid's going to do it? Uh, I, my personal opinion and what I say in my office is, is the law is there for a reason. Right. A lot of people, it, it's a good one because you guys are young and and um, impulsive and alcohol leads to trouble. Right. More impulsivity. Right. Mo- yeah. So I I get they want to try it and, and, and places like in Italy and 
you know, they alcohol is not so like forbidden. So it's a little. I think the kids are not so um, wild and crazy. Right, and, and they drink wine with dinner. With and they dinner, get used so to doing yeah. That. But here, I think we have to be. It's a slippery slope because right. I well, I know, asked I'm, my son. I just said, you know, we were talking about this, and I and I said, um, how many of your friends do you think drink? Mm-hmm. A few months ago, and he's like, let's clarify. You mean have drunk or are currently drinking? Mm -hmm. And I said, have drunk. He said, probably everybody. I said, everybody except for you? He said, yeah. And the parties are unbelievable. Every weekend there's a party somewhere and kids are getting drunk. They're not remembering what's going on. They're they're taking video of it and then it goes all through the school. Sure. And these poor girls are the victims and that's why I'm on my girls to, to... not become a victim of that. Right. Well, you know, a friend and I were talking again about this, and and she said, you know, I try to tell my kids that it's the healthy choice to not drink. And I said, how about just tell her her brain isn't done forming? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the truth, not just well, that's abstract. The main, that is really mm-hmm. the main reason. And if I try to educate kids on alcoholism, especially if they're ki- I, if I don't have kids, I have parents and try mm-hmm. to, you know, encourage them to educate their kids. But in families where anyone in the tree is alcoholic, I think we really have to tell kids that the right. later you can wait to have your first drink, if you're going right. to have a first drink, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Because the earlier you drink, the more trouble you're going to get into. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you open that door. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, and I really discourage you go, oh. what you said, mm-hmm. parents, that rather than saying, no, it's against the law, not mm-hmm. in my house. It, it, yeah, and I get in arguments and, uh, it, over it, and mm-hmm. it's, it because they, they're, they're arguing. I'm like, are you really arguing with me about <laughs> serving liquor? Please don't serve it to my son, right. because <laughs> if you do, then we'll be meeting right again real soon, because <laughs> it, that's not okay. Yeah. And I want kids to, to do what they did in the old-fashioned days, sneak and struggle and beg and <laughs> right. and, and and get some... Right, Boone's Farm or something. Throw up. <laughs> you know, I don't want them. I don't want them. They're coming and drinking vodka. Right, Absolute or whatever. Right, they're all. We live in Orange County. You know. <laughs> the best vodka Blue for sky. me. Yes, I'm like, oh wow, you are, you know that what that is? They go, yeah. Interesting. Like, oh. Wow. It's been great talking with you too. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Ruth. Well, thanks for having Goff. us. You're welcome. Practice in Irvine. Um, yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the DeMarco Polo Show. This show will be podcast soon, um, hopefully within the next week. So if you visit my website, blog, which is, um, what is it? It's uh, <laughs> penonfire.com. Click on blog and, and you will find out more about this podcast and the podcasts and the show for Writers on Writing, which is my other show, Wednesday mornings at 9. Until then, um, until next Monday, um, have a wonderful week and uh, tell your friends about the show and listen again in case you missed any of it when it's podcast. And uh, we're out of here for now. Bye-bye.